Hello, this is Saul Luckman coming to you live from the eye of what is now Tropical Storm Ian. It's my pleasure to welcome you to Conversations on Saul Luckman Uncensored, sponsored by snooze2awaken.com, resources for lucidity. For more information about my work, including a lot of cutting-edge free content, check out crowrising.com. I'm also on Telegram, where I'm sharing daily truth bombs at t.me slash soulluckman. And I'm absolutely crushing it on Substack at soulluckman.substack.com. <laughs> if you appreciate what I'm doing here and interviewing some of the greatest minds and hearts in the whole truth and nothing but community, please take a second to give this video and channel some love energy exchange. Comment, like, subscribe, and by all means, consider buying me a cup of coffee that I'll be sure to savor with a toast in your honor. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Jason Bashir's I want to say that again, Jason Bershears from Archaics.com, of Archaics.com, who's written about a million books and posted twice as many videos with a rapidity that simply redefines the word prolific. If you haven't heard of Jason's truly groundbreaking work on the 138-year cycle of the Phoenix phenomenon, the Nemesis X object, and various considerations relative to simulation theory, You've been hiding under a rock because everybody who's anybody's talking about this stuff. In Jason's own words, every mystery and enigma of the ancient world and today is explained in simulation theory. While this phenomenon is approached from the vantage point of our sciences today, archaics is thus far is thus far the only source for demonstrating the artificiality of our holography from the chronological and traditional histories. We live within the simulacrum, and the evidence of our contained existence is everywhere. Our world is not what you think. Now, today's chat isn't for beginners. As two proud intellectual Southerners, we're going to dive straight into the meat and potatoes of this complex subject matter. If you need to get up to speed before taking on this data, in the show notes, I'll provide a link to a wonderful overview presentation Jason recently gave to a group of fascinated Australians. Otherwise, strap in. Welcome to the show, Jason. How are you, my friend? Man, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm really glad to be here. Like I said earlier before our pod, before we started this podcast, you and I have some history, and I'm eager to share that with, with my own listeners. Awesome, man. You know, uh, Shiva Shampoo reached out uh, to me, one of the, your moderators. He wrote me on Telegram and asked me to make sure we had time for an in-depth discussion. I'm going to quote him. He said, um, I told him I've been hoping, he told you, I've been hoping the two of you would talk to high-level errants sharing informed fields. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. I thought, yeah, that'll, that'll work. And then I had a little bit of serendipity right before I sent you the in invite and we came on, somebody had commented on a, a Substack post that I made earlier today. This was a person who's really been um, supportive of, of my work and, and has really been getting into your stuff. I, I posted your video, The Goddess Was First, with some with one of my videos and some commentary about some of my writing on The Goddess. And she, she wrote in, thank you so much for posting this. Jason is utterly adorable in it. His voice and the ambiance are so magical, as well as it's having great content, which was new for me. It definitely made my day. So that was a little a little uh, check mark, you know, that we're uh, we're on the right path here with having this conversation today. Awesome. Awesome. I, I do believe I see her comment on the uh, Archaics channel as well. 
Cool. Yeah, she's been getting into your stuff. I I uh I shared that with her and uh I think she maybe had heard of you, but then she started really diving in. You know, your your work has inspired me to really uh pick up the torch of simulation theory again. I, I was writing about this concept and various related concepts years ago when I in my first book that I published, uh, which was called Conscious Healing, and I know you're aware of that. And recently, I re I recorded a talk with Alex Zek that goes deep into like simulation mechanics, uh, embryonic holography, cellular frequency fields, DNA is binary coding for uh, for interacting with the simulacrum and all kinds of other stuff. And I, I really just wanted to let people know that um, they can hear that talk by registering for free at a link I'll provide. It's called the uh, the Way Forward Summit. And it includes uh, a lot of uh, information from great speakers like Andrew Kaufman and Veda Austin and David Avocado Wolf on health and sovereignty solutions. But you're you're featured in there too in my in my talk with Alex, so you'll get some exposure uh, there. Not that you need it because your channel is blowing up like a balloon right now. How does that feel? Well, uh, I've taken archaics on to be more like a responsibility. It's it's a uh, the more and more attention that I receive, I think the more and more refined my my message needs to become. I think I owe that. I mean, I, I took this on as a project uh, a long time ago, and I made a I made a lot of promises that I intend to keep on the distribution of data and basically its presentation. I have a lot of people trying to wrap their minds around different areas of the concept, and. Uh, I'm just refining my technique right now on how best to portray things without triggering people, without people misunderstanding what I'm conveying and then running away because it's happened a lot. So uh, uh, blowing up is good. It's good. But, you know, the brighter the torch, the quicker the burning. I'm not really eager to blow up real fast. I'm up for the challenge and I can produce a tremendous amount of material. I made promises a long time ago that I have 500 videos in me and i don't see that number diminishing even though that was a hundred videos ago i made that promise i'm uh there's just an unlimited amount of ways to convey basically the same the same informations it just it's a matter of perspective so as far as blowing up I, i'm happy with it but it comes with added responsibilities right on right on i i mean i i I would wager you've got more than 500 videos if you wanted to, because you could you could go at this from so many different angles. I mean, I learn every time I I now with simulation theory is a kind of just working model that I'm I'm embracing. You can plug so much into it. It's like the Lego of theories. Well, so it's you know the the major premise is that we live in the simulacrum and. Because of that, because the simulacrum is a neutral field, that means many different systems could all be operative and running simultaneously, and they would coalesce, and yet the the experiencers themselves would, would hardly ever have contact. In a neutral field, we have programs and protocols of DNA. We have, we have all kinds of programs, uh, like reality tunnels. We have dungeon programming. We have uh, – there's just so much uh, from – from each collective, each body, each body politic of individuals within the simulacrum that have the same values and same belief systems, 
they basically have the same histories as well. And they're on a totally different program than the next collective that has a different series of histories and values and, and have been traveling different rea a different reality tunnel. So in this neutral field, we have this amalgamation of so many different types and archetypes and subtypes. And it's just a beautiful thing, but it's a, it's a neutral field. And that's what, that's what, that's people have a hard time wrapping their, their mind around inside of a neutral field. Almost everything is plausible and everything is probable. And so it's, it's very difficult reining people in to get them to understand that, you know, a lot of the things that you've been led to believe your entire life, they have, they do have explanations, but once you hear them, they're not going to comport with what you believe them to be. And that's probably this dynamic that you're describing contributes to this triggering effect for a lot of people, I believe. I, I was I was set to interview somebody and I shared some of your information with this person and they just absolutely went off uh, on social media, uh, you know, really denigrating uh, simulation theory and the very concept. And I think some of it also, Jason, comes from the transhumanism concept that very often gets attached to simulation theory where you know if you've cut like uh you know in time magazine back what was it a decade ago you had uh was it kurzweil you know talking about uh 2045 when that's a funny year isn't it given nostradamus's stuff 2045 mm -hmm. the year man becomes immortal we're right. fast approaching the moment when humans and machines merge welcome to the singularity right Right. And I think it freaks people out. I mean, for good reason, you know, uh, if, if that's if that's how you're interpreting it. But what I would say is that there is a spiritual context that you're providing for how the simulation might be interfacing with something we we could call reality, where it's all extremely meaningful. I said in my interview with Alex Zach that even in, even though it's a simulation or a series of simulation simulations you would never find a fighter pilot who would say that simulations are meaningless right exactly i got listen listen this is a i have to remind my own listeners over and over that Three years ago, I wasn't talking about simulation theory. And right now, I could actually redo every single video that I have on the Archaics channel and totally omit all references to simulation theory. And it won't change the essence of any of the theses that I have put out in Archaics. It doesn't change the Phoenix phenomenon one iota. It doesn't change the timeline of the Nemesis X object or the dark satellite. It doesn't change the fact that there are repetitive timelines like superimposed templates of world history that are stamped onto different civilizations at different time periods, but it's the exact same series of events, but experienced by different cultures at different times. And it doesn't make sense unless there's an overall governor over this whole system that created this magnificent template that we call history of events that never happened. And yet we can show that they happen because we have the, everything is sourced back. So something has put those sources into the smell for us to, uh, us to find. But the truth is, 
I can remove every single bit of simulation theory from the archaics data and it doesn't change it at all. You're still stuck with this 138 year protocol. But simulation theory was the only only concept that bridged all the anomalies that make that 138 year periodicity true because it can't be true with all the different models that we've been presented, like the physics model, the quantum model, the Newtonian model, the, the uh, uniformitarian model. These are all quite different models of history and, and the mechanics of the world. But when we take those different models and we look at this 138-year periodicity of an object that appears in the sky and, and performs all these different phenomena and acts with discretion, it can't be true. It doesn't, it, it doesn't fulfill all four models. It doesn't fulfill one of the models. It's totally anomalous. It can't have happened that way. And yet we can easily, anybody can go through my sources and see that we have the documentation. That's exactly what's happening. So, uh, we can do this with many different elements of, of the archaic, of the archaics data. Simulation theory is a conclusion. It was basically me throwing my hands up because I, I can't believe the, the 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 religious model that that I was basically uh, forced down my throat my entire life. I can't believe that model anymore because it doesn't work. I can't believe the scientific model. I can't believe the archaeological model. I can't I can't believe the historians. But I can take all this data and put together this massive thesis and and support it with so much data from multiple different vantage points, and it's real. But it can't be real, according to the way the world has been packaged for us and presented to us. So simulation theory is a conclusion. It's not the essence of the archaics data. It's a conclusion because in simulation theory, I can now explain all the anomalies. Now I can understand how two different cultures, two different languages, having two different religions and two different histories can basically have these cross parallels at significant node, like nodes in time where they experience the same phenomena at the same time, having no contact or they, or they, or, uh, inventions that are suddenly just explode on the world scene at three different areas on three different continents at the exact same time by by people with three different cultures and three different languages and having no contact or predecessors that had any contact with each other. We have these historical incidents. They've been recorded over and over and over. There are many books published about the phenomenon of multiple inventions being being made at the exact same time, as if information is in the field and not the individual, as if the individuals are the receivers of information that's out there in this huge neutral field. So putting all these things into, into perspective, so it's a, if I would have been on simulation theory a decade ago when I read your book, Conscious Healing, and I cited it, I cited it in my own book, when I, I have a whole chapter in here citing King Tutankhamun and King Solomon and the Vedic text, and the whole chapter just goes through, and I cite all these different ancient sources that were talking about the architecture of time space and the repetitions that can be measurable once you know what you're looking for, and that the past is a predicate for the future, and that that this patterning that was that was known to the ancients was forward and backward and equidistant, but they didn't have the frame of reference or vernacular back then to know it was a palindrome that they were talking about. You mentioned the palindromes that are encoded within our DNA and the latent DNA and junk DNA just might not be junk DNA. And when I read your book, it's it stuck in my mind. But as the as is my book is the is the basically it's putting to this book here is putting together probably hundreds of 
of other texts, my bibliographies, hundreds of books that I cited and read to put this together. Yours was one of them. So in your own research was also a byproduct of many things that you've come into contact with. So I'm saying all that to say that that simulation theory can be removed from the equation. And, and yet you have tapped on, you have tapped into a significant phenomenon that I also have studied, which is this almost psychosomatic healing, healing of the body by some different exercises of the mind, this belief in empowering an informed field, which has a exchange of information with, with the neutral field around us, which allows us to change our DNA, which allow, which allows us not to actively change DNA, but to want something that all of a sudden causes the change in the DNA for the healing. So what I'm saying is, is simulation theory is great. I love it because it does sum up everything, but people get triggered by it. But I have to remind them over and over. Listen, if you get if you're troubled by simulation theory, remove it from the archaics experience because it, it's not needed. Yeah, I agree with you totally. Uh, in some of your earlier videos, you're, you're touching on that less as, as things stand, and it doesn't really matter in terms of the data, the core data, the tor the core chronological data. That's really, really strong. Uh, it. it um, you know, it stands on its own. One of the things that, you know, occurred to me, you have a, you have a, a word, I'm a, I'm a writer, so I'm always paying attention to word usage and, and you, you've, you know, you've got a, a really nice vocabulary. You like to use the word harrowing a lot when you're describing the, the Phoenix phenomenon and Nemesis X. And, but you could also substitute the word exciting for a lot of that too, because one of the things that ha has happened in me and in other people I've shared this type of information with yours yours in, uh, in, in particular but also more generally having to do with uh, simulation concepts is that it can be incredibly empowering and to know what's happening in your reality more or less what the parameters are what the rhythms are the cycles to be able to actually use predictive analysis to look forward i mean for your own life for the life of your family for you know, where you place your bets, what cryptocurrencies you buy and when, I mean, what business ventures you in, in, enter into or you don't and, and, and what the timing of those might be. All of this is incredibly exciting. And I just want people to know that you can look at it through the lens of fear, it, like you're, you're belonging to the collective and you're getting all this fear programming like we are with, you know, Hurricane Ian <laughs> right now. It's just, it's just in full flow right now. Or you can be an errant and be very excited at what's going on here. And you've brought through the mother load of excitement for interacting in a productive way with this simulation and as it plays out in, into the end of its history. It's really, really cool. I you mean, are right. Cool. You're right. There is a way to play with reality. Playing with reality is actually what we're supposed to be doing. It's just we, we have fallen into this node of negative default programming where about 95% of the world is basically stuck in this feedback loop of negativity that is continually fed by more negativity and continually fed by, by more negativity and then reinforced by our own negativity. And then our behavioral patterns become patterned to where, to where we, we do more and more and more in that negative, negative mindset. So the collective becomes more and more our, our life. 
but you're actually you're at you hit the nail on the head. This reality is actually supposed to be very exciting because we're supposed to play with it. And I have videos about that too. That we are co-creators, and our friend is the simulacrum. It is the neutral field that that will reflect back to us what we're projecting. The problem is, is negative default programming and dungeon programming make it very difficult to break free so we can project in the positive. You're right. You're right, exactly. And so there's tools. I mean, you're sketching out a lot of really great tools. You have a playlist called We Immortals that I've recommended to a number of people that really takes people through these concepts. And I'll put I'll put a link to your channel so that people can easily access that. So please go listen to that entire playlist. I actually have told a lot of people to start there because I, I felt like it ground, you know, in terms of ideas for how not to trigger people, I felt like that was a way of presenting the I want to say the spiritual, I don't know, the consciousness con uh, context for for this model so that you feel empowered as you enter into some of the other stuff that could be disturbing or frightening, you know, Phoenix, uh, Phoenix uh, uh, phenomenon, et cetera. Yeah, um, I get I get the confusion and I get the cognitive dissonance. I understand even the attitudes. I mean, I'm really patient with people that I see get triggered and they got attitudes. I get it because what I what I am proposing over and over is it's almost unbelievable. But to me, it's the only thing that makes sense that we are spiritual, immortal beings, but we are jacked into something that is absolutely technological. And it is so sophisticated, it is far beyond our present ability in, in, the, in the virtual reality field, in the simulations, computerized simulations field. I don't believe that it's as simple as we're living in a computer program. That's just a modern frame of reference pushed yes. by Hollywood because Hollywood producers and script writers only have that as a frame of reference. They haven't been able to see further than that when those movies were made because that's, I mean, just they're limited by imagination. I get that, but I think it's far more sophisticated than anything that Hollywood has yet put out. I believe this is a technology that is so sensitive that it can actually bridge the spirit with, with technology to make a spirit feel all kinds of things in the phenomenal world, which is inside the simulacrum. Now, uh, I, I get the, I get the, I get the wall that people hit. I understand that because you take a needle and you stick your hand with it. You're going to feel pain. I get that. But I also know that, there are different mental techniques that, that you can apply because I've done them where you can basically remove acute pain. I mean, even in the prison context, I mean, you don't, we don't get medical treatment like you think we do. Uh, they'll, they'll keep you alive, but they don't give a damn about you being in pain in prison and all that. And we find different ways to cope with, with different ailments and different maladies, different things that affect us in there. So, uh, there are different tools and different practices you can do to to overcome pain, to basically to eliminate it from your life. But it's uh, because you got you have to separate yourself from the idea that you are your body. This is the greatest hurdle that people have to overcome. 
even with the archaic, even with all the archaics data, it's still the hardest thing. People accept the 138 year phenomenon. People accept the different things that happen. People accept uh, the different things I've revealed about the dark satellite. They've revealed about eschatology and prophecy. They understand all these things and they can accept them. But man, it's really hard for people to, to imagine that they are personalities absolutely independent of the flesh shoot soup they're inhabiting right now. This, this avatar, which is very, very temporal and probably only one of many avatars that they've enjoyed since they've been on this Simulacrum ride. That's the hardest part. I, it, it's, it's where I see most people struggling. I agree with that totally. And I've thought about alternative ways of envisioning what might be going on, let's say, outside the simulation, right? And you use the word technology a lot. And, you know, there's nothing that that absolutely would necessitate that being the case. For example, in the movie Avatar, you have this gigantic tree that has all the memories of the people. And it, it, it is the tree itself is the technology that they tap into. It's like a memory bank. It is a library of information. And it made me think about the world tree, that, that whole concept. And I know that that can mean a variety of things. And you've talked about the world tree on numerous occasions. But I had a completely uh, less technological vision of what could be going on outside the simulation where people are actually in some kind of intimate uh, interaction with something that is organic, that the technology that we're talking about may be a living being or series of beings that is in allowing for this holographic uh, simulation to play out. Well, that that's not off the table. I mean, we do have we do have some pretty inexplicable phenomena that we can't really understand outside the context of other things going on within this reality that just don't make sense to us that could very well be inside some type of of hyperdimensional being a being that doesn't understand uh, really we can't measure uh um i mean i have i have theorized that we are very tiny and we're in with we're within a vast world but uh i i can agree that that we could be inside some some type of of some spiritual or maybe even even maybe even has a physical medium i don't know these are all entirely theoretical and i'm, I'm cool with i'm cool with uh you know trying to come up you know with ideas and concepts for it but but what it really boils down to in my own research is i always have to loop back to to uh the first principles and what i mean is is you know that the archaics data, you're probably familiar with this, that I do not entertain anything prior to 5239 BC. Right. And, the re and the reason is, is because as a, as a chronologist, it is the farthest back I can go with any written records and traditions that give us any type of timekeeping systems. After 5239 BC, we have calendar after calendar after timekeeping system after calendar. Uh, just, they just all started exploding onto the scene. And we have, and it's the very reasons for the origin of these calendars that tells a story. And the story that unfolds with 5239 BC and then every calendar that, that, that appears on the scene during the vapor canopy period right after that, which we call the pre-flood world, is it's a story of a 
solar system and that solar system it has lost a star that star exploded and it catapulted several worlds in one direction whatever worlds went in other directions they they are never mentioned again in the historical record or maybe they are in the days of pliny and that's another story mm. but but uh in 5239 BC, a calendar, a calendar begins when this nemesis cataclysm occurs. Shortly after that, our world enters its present position, which according to the Titius Bode law, it's out of place. We should not be tucked in between Mars and Venus. There's no orbital belt here. And uh, um, it totally breaks up the mathematical perfection of the distribution of worlds from, from the surface of the sun starting at Mercury and every planet to the third power is exactly where you find them going. Even the asteroid belts at the right place, uh, uh, basically insinuating that in the ancient past, it was a planet. So now you have to, you have to understand, I'm speaking from uh, the perspective that the simulacrum is telling us a story of the past of a real system. We're not in that real system anymore. We're inside the simulacrum, which is telling us the story. We are living the very story of what happened on the outside of the simulacrum. Now, where we are at on the outside of the simulacrum, that's conjectural. That we ought to we ought to start a think tank and have you know some some of the greatest minds in the world come together and and whatever. I, I don't know. I'm not pretending to know where we're at in that. Only that that in all the historical research, in the amalgamation of so much data, I see the story of all the all the calendars of the world and how they began. And it tells the story of this vast destruction and then our attempts at survival in different biospheres up till the present day. And now in the present day, what we have as the apocalypse is about to unfold. But the apocalypse is a period where all the events, all these bodies like the moon, the moon, the appearance of the moon, the appearance of our world here, the appearance of Phoenix, the appearance of the dark satellite, the appearance of Nemesis X object, all these objects in the past that started these calendrical systems that are famous throughout history, they all converge right here in the next 20 year period. Every one of those calendars converge right here in the next 20-year period. So they must be attached to, to some grand cycle that all these objects belong to. But none of these objects, including Earth, belong in the soul system. Not this sun. We came from the nemesis system when, it, when we were catapulted through space. Now, you got to understand, this is on the outside of the simulacrum. Inside the simulacrum, we're running simulations. And this is what I show a lot over and over on my channel, that... All this research leads to these conclusions. Now, you, we can remove those conclusions from the equation, and it doesn't change none of the arithmetic. It doesn't change the fact that this is what's documented. This is what's happened throughout history. Our history, I don't know, or a real history on the outside of this construct, because that's what I believe is going on. I believe that you and I and everybody listening to our voice are inside of a construct, but it's a simulacrum, a similitude. It is an exact copy of a real system. However, inside here, we can run simulations ad infinitum because of the time dilation. We can invoke new biospheres, collapse biospheres, or we can do all these things inside the simulacrum to run all the necessary tests we need to run in order to produce the output we're looking for before we get to wherever we're going on the outside of the simulacrum.
Yeah, I like hope, the. I hope I didn't leap too far. That. No, that's awesome. I I really appreciate the way you think, where you where you really look for your breadcrumbs inside the data, and then you draw conclusions based on what you're able to find. I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I by the same token, you know, we don't know, uh, you know, if if that scenario is happening and the people on the outside are um, are um, you know, using using uh, this as a kind of uh, tutorial or something like that. This could still be something from their distant past that they're teaching lessons about their history. It could be it could be very imaginative design to teach uh, other life lessons that maybe could only be done in a in a in a scenario that's actually kind of different from their world because they they need to create some kind of distinction or you know, like you often say that in fiction you know, you, you get a lot of truth. So fiction can be used in a lot of different ways to evoke emotions and to create mental experiences and that, and, to, and to change people. I really believe people can be changed. So it's really hard. I mean, I'm coming at this from as a novelist, right? I'm thinking, okay, well, how would I, how would I set this up? So part of me is just engaging right. in just, a, just an exercise, an imaginative exercise I'm I'm using your third, you know, your third divine power there. I'm just using the imagination to just what? work through a concept and just letting myself go with it because I've thought, you know, if I if I end up writing another piece of fiction before, you know, the 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 whole shit house goes up in flames as it were, um I might, yeah. I, might try to, I might try to do something on on these concepts. So I, I play around with how I would plot it out and that sort of thing. Well, I'm a I I have often said on my own channel that I am very open to the possibility that the entire scenario that I just revealed to you just now may be interjected into the simulacrum to add the element of danger to be discovered. So that's what we would think when actually we're just immortal beings that wanted to have a, a physical, a, a physical experience. And these simulacrums are like, like Disneyland type parks on the outside of this construct. And we've been doing this for eons and we're all immortals and there's, and there's probably absolutely no danger. That's why we go through these rides. So I can agree exactly what you're saying too. That it may, it may all be untrue and just a part of the programming. Not that we're watching a movie, but we have developed the very technology at some point in the past where we could experience the movie ourselves. Right on, right on. And, you know, if we were mortal beings out there too, it, you know, to me, again, just talking as a novelist here, Jason, not really trying to pick holes in, in any theories, but you know, if we're immortal beings capable of this kind of technology, we probably got something like time travel on the outside. <laughs> we don't even need capital ships, you know, we can warp drive it or something like that. Because I was going to, I wanted to talk a little bit about the whole notion of the quantum realm. And I was right. thinking about how, you know, we have, if, if we're in a simulation and we have this kind of notion of a quantum field where weird phenomena take place and you have action at a distance and uh, time dilation and all those types of uh, uh, phenomena. But really, all those things are artifacts of the programming, right, on the inside. I, yeah, 100%. I agree. If yeah. mirror something on the outside, then that must be truly a magical world out there. And I'm thinking about uh, Libor Chaos, the book by Carol. I love that book. You know, the, the the interesting thing is, is that he's not if if his models are are true for how the magical part of our reality works. Right. His whole 
mathematical aspect to defining magic. He's not describing what's inside the simulation. He's describing what's outside the simulation because he's saying it's real. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, um, I have often given the analogy on my own channel that we exist within the photo negative of a real arithmetic, but the construct we're in right now is not real. It is a false arithmetic. It is, it's like the quantum, uh, not the physical, because I mean, you understand, you understand them. You understand that, you know, in our physical reality today, we can magnify any object to the point to where we see nothing but open spaces. And those open spaces are only separated, not by physical atoms and all that, but by oscillating fields. Yep. So, so if the entire physical medium by which we think is solid all around us is well known to us by our own scientific apparatus now to be actually oscillating fields separated by vacuums of nothingness, then it's not a leap of faith to think that we're in a construct of pure mathematic coding. I don't know why anybody can't wrap their head around that when, when, I, when I'm discussing the difference between spiritual and physical things, because the more we magnify anything, we, we're confronted with non-locality. And when we're confronted with non-locality, that basically is the greatest evidence that, that even the physical world that we perceive around us is just another phase of spirit. You are so right. And ultimately, it's some kind of consciousness-based construct. I I'm very fascinated by some interrelated phenomena that have been experimented with in inside the, the construct. You know, this notion that you get in theosophy of like the egregore, right? The, the group, right. this idea of a group thought form that can take on uh, a lot of power. And, you know, I think you know, during um, the last couple of years, we we confronted a major egregore on the world stage, right? With with the, you know the face diapers and all of that going on, right? We were we were dealing with one of those. You also have a concept that I write about in my last book, Cali Destroyer, the Tulpa, and this this um, concept in mysticism of a, a being or a, a creature or an object that is created through spiritual or mental powers. You had the Tibetans doing a, a kind of deity visualization where they would create some kind of little deity of famil or familiar that could aid them, assist them in some ways. You know, these are, to me, these are kind of um, uh, pieces of evidence of how this works, you know, how something could be projected and made to be real from nothing. Well, you're explaining what you're describing to me exactly is what I tell my listeners on my channel. And it's that it's that even though we live inside the simulacrum, which is a total neutral field, we are we ourselves, our personalities are a part of a informed field. And that is highly individualized and only belongs to each distinct personality and this generation of phenomena inside the neutral field of the simulacrum is very easy to do jason can sit back and concentrate uh, on something for just two or three minutes and decide you know what man, i'm gonna have a really good day i think i'm gonna go out here uh i got a friend named rachel i'm gonna go visit rachel and i'm gonna have her uh i'm gonna run by her exactly what i have in mind about this group that we're gonna go talk to tomorrow 
tomorrow. And I want to raise the vibration of the whole group before we even walk in there and give our presentation. So I drive over to Rachel's and I talk to Rachel and I explain to Rachel what I'm doing. Here's my informed field that already has an arc, basically a blueprint of, of a future event already mapped within it. Now my physical avatar is driving to Rachel's. There's intent here. The simulacrum is a neutral field. It, it's reading all of this and it's seeing that I'm going through the motions. By the time I get to Rachel and all of a sudden she's very receptive to me. She's listening to me. Oh yes. Yeah, we can do this together. Now we're interfacing and that interface is an exchange of information. There's a building of this informed field. Now by expressing my intent to another human being, that human listens to it, offers her own input. The informed field is strengthened even more. More details are added. And the more details that we add about how we want to raise the vibration of of a collective that are in a room that are going to be waiting for us tomorrow before we give a, a, a presentation mutually, it's the simulacrum has already begun affecting the very people because there's no separation in space and time. Whatever we're doing right then and there, the simulacrum is already aligning the fields of people who don't even know yet that they'll be participating in that meeting. They're already receiving the information and getting on that on that vibration. By the time we walk into that room, we have set the pace within two or three seconds of, of either one of us speaking. The simulacrum is going to flood that programming into the room and everybody's just going to listen. It's going to be they're going to be in awe and it's going to be a fantastic presentation. We do this. This on a daily basis, but when you do it with intent, when you know you're doing it, that's when you become a co-creator. That's when that's when you basically forge all the elements of your life. You're no longer living vicariously through the lives of others. You're basically you're basically a king and a prince here. You're doing you're doing what you want to do, and the simulacrum has no problem giving it to you because it's a neutral field. And that is one of the truly salient aspects of your work is, is your thoughts on, on this neutral field and how, how uh, empowering and how much potential there is in it. I, I just absolutely love that. And I think one of the things, you know, I'd love to, your thoughts on this, this notion that one of the things that freaks some people out, that triggers people to go back to that word we, we uh, used a little while ago, when they're looking at simulation theory is that there's no there there. We just talked about empty space, something emerging from the void, you know? And so this idea that we are creating everything all the time within the simulation, that, that we are actually kind of bringing it into being is deeply disturbing on an existential level to a lot of people. I remember in Conscious Healing, some people commented, some reviewers commented, on my interpretation of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. And I'm sure you're very familiar with that, where you know, that you, you know, this idea that the observer actually changes the outcome of the experiment. I mean, it's quite a mind fuck. And it yes, really it means that there's just no real stable ground underneath your feet. And I think this absolutely freaks people out. And it extends all the way to the scientific method. And to epistemology itself, how can we know anything in the simulation, in a simulation that operates by this uncertainty principle, where we are really responsible for creating our own reality minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, even if we don't know we're doing it? That's right. It's so, a, you know, and 
it becomes offensive to some people when, when they find out that this is also the principal teaching uh, of this model is that we've created our own reality. But it's a uh, equally so it's not that it's not that somebody wanted to be destitute. It's not that somebody wanted to be in pain or somebody wanted to be a victim. What it is, is if you're not actively being proactive in creating in the simulacrum, then you are basically in dungeon programming. Dungeon programming means you're living in the lives of others. Others who are spearheading things, others who are doing things, you're, you're that person in the back of the room who's just listening because you're not actually doing anything. Life is the exact same way. It's a, you're gonna get caught, you're gonna get caught in the currents of others and get swept away and go with them because you have no direction of your own. When you're living, and when you're living like total neutrality, just like the field, when your own personal informed field is basically resonating in, in total neutrality, just like the overfield that's that surrounds everybody, well, that allows the the overfield to allow everything that's moving around you to take you with it. And you're not really living your life. You're living everybody else's life. And that's when you become a victim. That's when you become, that's when you, you, you're accident prone. That's when all these negative things that happen to you in your life. So people do, people do get offended by this concept to be a, but uh, to me, it's almost, it takes me more energy to cogitate the existence of an indescribable heaven or a like my favorite word harrowing a harrowing hellscape you know what I mean? it takes me it takes me uh that takes way more energy to cogitate than than i'm an immortal being and that i really live outside this imaginary vr vr construct and that everything going on in here is just this great grand experiment and i'm supposed to be enjoying myself but uh, it takes me. It takes me more. I mean, the whole concept of heaven and hell, which I which I lived with all my entire life, is something I wasn't allowed to question. Mm. But once I started questioning it, it's like it's the most ridiculous concept I've ever heard. I can't believe they've even sold this to millions of people. But uh, yeah, it, it is. It, we are we are one hundred percent in control of our of our basically our our destiny. I agree with you one hundred percent, and I also understand and I empathize with those who get triggered by that because I can see where it would be offensive. You know, uh, if we end up creating some kind of community for errants to ride out 2040, we should call it Zella. Zella? Is it Zella or it was the little city outside? Bela, of yeah, Bela, B-E-L-A, yeah, Bela. Bela. Okay, so Bela. that's the little city outside of Sodom and Gomorrah that was just completely unscathed. I think that would be hilarious. Yeah, I'm a... Um, you know what? Nothing about the future phases me. I mean, it would have in my Judeo-Christian mindset. It did when I was studying eschatology and I was putting all these things together about the future of the world. It, it, they bothered me then. But since I've made that that cognitive leap to understand that I'm an informed field and the neutral field is, is going to reflect back as circumstances, anything that I project, there's there's nothing I worry about anymore. 
I'm not worried about the Phoenix. I'm not preparing for it. Many people send me emails asking me what my, my what my preparations are, and I understand that that's fear based uh, mm. inquiries. That's a fear based inquiry because it it presupposes that you actually think I'm preparing for it, and that you think you need to prepare for it. And this type of frequency is something I'm not I'm not going to participate in anymore. I don't participate in the media, the fear mongering. I don't buy into it, and I do believe like I, I'm putting out a predictions video today. Oh, tonight, tonight I'm going live and it's going to be the most extensive summary of three years of YouTube predictions I've ever done uh, of mapping out 2022 and 2023. And I have no I have no fear of the events themselves because I see that my place in this world is entirely up to me where I want. I decide my coordinates. I decide well, uh, the perimeters of my existence, what I want to participate in or not. I don't I don't worry about uh there's just, there's just nothing to worry about anymore. And, and I try to convey this to my, to my own listeners that no matter what is happening in your individual community, you are welcome to borrow into it because the neutral field will always part, basically reflect back to you what you want to do. If you want to be a part of the collective and you want to suffer dungeon programming and negative default programming, it will allow you to do that. It will never fight you that's what you want to do it's going to make it very easy for you and uh you can suffer everything the collective suffers but i don't want to be on that frequency i don't want to vibrate on that frequency and i know events themselves are attached to frequencies they're not things once we understand that there's just really nothing that can touch you unless you want to be touched that's brilliant, Jason. I, I've, you know, people have asked me, well, how do we, what do we do? How do we prepare? And I mean, I've definitely had some thoughts on maybe, I don't know, smart, prudent decisions that one might make leading up to that, that time. But mostly my response has been, you know, live fully, live creatively, raise your vibration and imagine how you want to to move through these transitional periods here. Just do it, just just see it happening and put action to it and you'll move in that direction, you know? We're not here to like, we're not here to worry our way till the bitter end. We're here to enjoy ourselves and experiment. Sometimes be, you know, uh, a little, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is, uh, is that I'm looking for, you know, not playing by the rules, I suppose. <laughs> right. Right. You know, have some fun for God's sake. Right, I agree. It's a, it's a, it's an awesome world. It really is. And and I mean, I live by example. So I'm not just I'm not just some 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 YouTube head just talking on a on a uh, law of attraction channel trying trying to get you to to believe this and believe that. And, and I, I show up in my Lamborghini. And I now I do live by example. My my first videos, I don't take them down. I don't take them down at all because I want to. I want people to see. You know, me getting out of prison was a struggle. Trying to work, trying to do different things. I was trying to play the game. I was in the oil and gas industry. I was making pretty good money, but I was working seventy hours a week, and I wasn't able to do any research, put out videos, or anything. I quit the oil and gas industry, and I wanted to work for myself. And I didn't have any money when I decided to do that. I I had made a purchase because I wanted to a twenty eighteen Fat Boy Harley Davidson bike. I wanted that bike bad, and I didn't care what I had to pay for it. So. Uh -huh. So I did that, but it left me broke. And my first video show, so I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit it today in retrospect, considering where I am now. That's a, 
uh, I was doing videos out of a wooden shack and everybody could see it. Everybody could. I tried to dress it up as much as possible, but everybody can see it in the back of the videos. And I didn't even try to hide it. But my first videos were all out of a wooden shack. And then uh, a lot of my videos were out of my van. It was my contractor van. And, and I started I started my own company, Paradise Rock Gardens. But the entire time I'm releasing videos, I'm living the very things that I'm telling others. And I'm, st I'm steady building capital and, and I'm acquiring the things that I need. Things are coming to me very easy. I'm working very hard for three years in Paradise Rock Gardens releasing these videos. But then I made I made the executive decision that I've had enough. There's no way that I can live two lives at the same time and be where I want to be. So I quit my own company, Paradise Rock Gardens, and went full-time YouTube, and uh, I only had 4,000 subs, but that's not enough to carry me. I wasn't even monetized. I, I had no money coming in, but I did it 100% in pure faith because I already had, I had already started We Immortals Playlist, and I, I've been knowing, I'm, I'm, I've survived some amazing things in prison, and I remember that that euphoric feeling I had all the time in prison. I didn't give a damn about the cell blocks, what was going on, racial tensions. Didn't care. I didn't care. I talked to guys that were holding their entrails out. Uh, even the smell didn't mess with me. I've done things in prison that that in retrospect I think back about. It, I said, "Damn, I should have been in a movie." Mm -hmm. But these were daily experiences or weekly experiences, and I decided I've had enough. I can't just sit here and work my ass off in the labor uh, uh, doing all these things even though money was pretty good and, and also get my message out because I've got bags and bags and bags and bags full of notes and research that I did in prison that I haven't been able to put into video format yet. So that's what I did. I quit about four weeks into that. Now I even, I'm, I'm, Hey, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but during that four week transitional period from when I quit paradise rock gardens to when Santos Bonacci interviewed me that four week period, I was going to the Willis pantry to get my food. That's how bad it got. But I'm I'm moving in faith. I'm moving in faith that listen, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I cannot move backwards. I can't go, I can't start working Paradise Rock Gardens anymore. I can't go back that way because it's not the direction I'm trying to go. So I kept pushing forward. And then Santos Bonacci interviewed me, and my channel just blew up every week in exponentially. Then the donation started coming in that carried me. Yes, I was still going to the Willis Pantry, but I was also releasing higher quality content videos. I was getting all my uploads out there. So then I was able to acquire a property. Then I was able to acquire the property next to it extended. Then I had buildings installed. I'm in one now. Uh, then I had buildings installed. I just had another building installed just like last, a week ago. And I turned it into an art studio because my 350 charts, all my chronological charts that I've released data sets for all the archaics material, I'm about to redo those, but with actual real material. Everything, all those were done in prison with a pen and on typing paper. I'm about to do some really phenomenal charts so people can understand these concepts now. And I'm going to do them on video. I'm going to record as I do it. That's, that studio has been set up. It's done. It was finished yesterday. I finished I finished my van. The entire van has been refurbished. It's when do now, we get to see that, Jason? When I'm, I'm, about to take, that? I'm about to take pictures of all that this weekend. Uh, I'm going to put it on, on YouTube just to give people an update in my life how far I have come 
come living the very message that I give. I want everybody to see this because they remember what my van used to look like. People see it in my videos. It looked terrible when I was a contractor. Now it's been fully refurbished. No van in America looks like this. It's solid wood on the entire interior. 360 all the way around on the inside of that van is solid wood. New sound system. It is beautiful. Solar panels on the top, light bars. I, I got, can't wait to see it. Yeah. The van's awesome. But, I mean, these aren't things – I'm not rich. I've, it's a lot of work in between videos and presentations and research getting all these things together. But it seems like all in the last week it all just came together all at one time. At the exact same time that – I don't know. I just started getting all these podcasts again because I took a month off of podcasts. And I was just doing a bunch of uploads, reading my own books, audio books. Then I started getting all these podcasts. Uh and getting in contact with a lot of people from my past is very weird. People that people that remember that I disappeared in eighth grade. I have a. I just recently got got in contact with my very best friend from childhood, who now lives in Hawaii. Name his name is Jeff, but he contacted me when he was listening to a doctor on YouTube explain all kinds of different uh, remedies that work, and some uh, about blood and parasites and all that. And then the, the doctor said, "I've been listening to this guy named Jason of Archaics, and he explains the informed field how it can change our genetic code and actually." perform for us just by just by, by 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 thinking it can and following through in the motion to acting as if we were already healed so uh anyway this doctor had mentioned me and he heard the video and like three days ago he contacted me by email says man i cannot believe i have lost contact with you i've been looking for you and here it is you're right here on youtube blowing up so uh yeah it's just living living the very message that i give is is this is exactly what my life has become. So I'm about, I'm going to release a video this week in showing all this because people know. People know where I came from. They know how, how I was struggling. And that's just not the situation anymore. You know, it's really cool how you've invited people into your world to participate in the rollout of all the archaics data and giving people permission to do certain things with some of your content and whatnot. It's really, really cool the way you've done that. I, I admire that a lot. I have, a, I have a question on a, on a different wavelength, maybe switching gears here slightly. Um, and this is just a thought that occurred to me uh, nah, the other day. I, I made a note of it. Is it possible that the only real thing inside the simulation is the number 2178? Yes, it is. Uh, it's funny you should ask that. When you say real thing, it's possible that that number is the only is the only thing that's truly really physical while everything else is just perceived to be physical. That was what I was getting at. Yes, 100%. Oh, a, a lot of people, that a lot of people understand that. I have no idea what we're talking about. So, unpack that a little bit because I'd love to hear your your expanded thoughts on that. Well, uh in a in a nutshell, uh in the development of a software of a software system that I was calling Ovis uh, we were running NFL predictions and crypto predictions all through 2020, 2021, just experimenting uh, a lot of successes, some failures, uh, trying to figure out why different mathematical constructs hold true for weeks at a time to where it gives us 87 to 92 percent predictive value and we make money and, we, and we're happy. And then it seems like there's always this 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 shut off, uh, a repeat, a break in pattern. Try, so I was trying to use the software to figure out. I didn't, I didn't care about the successful uh, six and seven day periods no more. They weren't important to me. Now I wanted to find out 
the pattern break. I wanted to find out if there was any like a reset, Jason. Would you call that yes. a little yes. reset? Yeah, you can call it a, re a mathematical reset or whatever. So this led me into like Elliot Proctor, Elliot Wave Theory. And um, so a computer programmer, a good friend of mine named James Desmond Knorr, and I and myself, we sat down and I gave him the instructions on what to program. So we took the numbers one through 50, and I have the video on our case on my channel, and it's, it's received a lot of attention because many people have done the same experiment, and some have even added, added value to what we found, saw things I didn't see, but the numbers one through 50,000, and all we wanted to do was subtract them from their holo, their holoflective uh, sum, which is a exact reverse of what they are, because just like the book Liber Chaos explains, many of the real things in our world are actually the reverse of what we perceive. So we wanted to see if this was true in arithmetic as well, and what we found shocked us. When we ran, we ran that program. It's very simple; anybody can do it. The numbers one through fifty thousand is basically a good example of the of one through infinity, because anything over fifty thousand is just going to be a replica of lower numbers. So we took those numbers. And every single one of those were, were subtracted by its reverse. And instantly, about 50% of numbers basically devolved into any number that's divisible by nine through a series of, of devolutions until they collapsed to zero. And the computer showed us it was almost instantaneous. It just all collapsed to zero. But about in between, might have been, been one to three percent of numbers did something else. They collapsed to numbers that all turned into the number either 6523, 8712, or 2178. And it shocked us. What's going on here? So we had to look at it. And, can, I and jump in, not, can I jump in and just say that, you know, the estimates for the uh, percentage of DNA that's active in your system is 3%. Well, this is, the, this is what we found with the number 2178 because yeah. this – uh. Oh, we thought the number was going to be was higher on the on these devolutions to the number 2178. And then something very curious happened. Every number that actually devolves in the breakdown on the way to zero that gets stopped before going to zero hits 65, 23, 87, 12 or 2178. So we thought these three numbers were really interesting until we looked down further on the chart and we saw that. 6523 and 8712 are multiples of 2178. And they also loop back. So if you take 2178 and you subtract it from its whole from its holoflective number, which is 8712, don't don't think of integers. There's no integers in a hologram. If all all uh, all a uh, holo feels not gonna have integers. So you have 2178 and you just subtract it from 8712, provides you 6523. Then you take that 32. 56 minus that 6523 and, and you get your 8712 again take your 8712 and it turns back into 2178 it is an eternal loop not one single individual has been able to explain what this means nor has anybody been able to disprove it anybody can do the exercise now what makes it very valuable is the fact is that why don't other numbers do this no other number in existence no other number in existence but 2178 actually loops eternally. You can't count 8712 because it's 2178 times 4. You can't count, uh, you, you definitely can't count uh, 6523 because that's 2178 times, times 3. You can't count the multiples, they're just 2178 in multiples. 2178 is, is the number. It's the lowest common denominator of the loop. Therefore, in my interpretation, 
is that this loop, this loop actually, since everything else collapses to zero through some of them, some of them collapse instantly to zero. Most of them devolve through a series of numbers that are all divisible by nine, and then it collapse. But 2178 is very unique because it loops, and when it loops, it's almost as if it's attached to another dimension. It's trying to take us somewhere, but we can't go beyond that. It's attached to another arithmetic. And because every, our arithmetic, because about 97% of everything in our arithmetic devolves to zero, even through all the different permutations, then it tells me that we exist on the photonegative of a real arithmetic. And the closest approximation to anything that is real in this perception that we have right now is, 21, is the number 2178. And, it, and it's not a coincidence that 2178 Anno Domini is exactly 138 years after 2040, the event we're waiting for now, nor is it a coincidence that 138 is on the cusp, just barely equal to the fine structure constant, the one number that holds this entire fabric of existence together. Yeah, when and when I think about that now in relation to this discussion, the whole fine structure constant really does seem to be the, the touchstone or the foundation for the programming of the holography. Yes, it has to, it has to be. I mean, to find it everywhere, I mean, I get people, I get people a lot in the comment section like, oh man, well, well I mean, there's another explanation for this 138 deal where there's, there's another explanation for these things that happened in 1902 and all that, but people don't understand you can isolate particulars and nitpick and attack them all, all, all along. But in the archaics model, I am bringing multiple different threads of research all to, to, these, to these singular conclusions, such as you can attack the 138-year phenomenon of the Phoenix all you want, but you're not attacking me. You're not attacking the chronology. You're attacking all the individual scientists and archaeologists and historians and books and ancient texts that all put these dates out for me to put this construct together. Additionally, even if you wanted to attack the Phoenix phenomenon, what are you going to do about the fine structure constant, as I've shown on my channel, is recorded in hundreds of different measurements in the Great Pyramid of Giza and in no other pyramid. Here's an entirely separate, completely different series of data points. So our uh, data sets. And then you find 138 mentioned in all these ancient texts. And then even totally independent of all this, Mario Reading, whose, whose book on Nostradamus' prophecies is now uh, getting a lot of attention because the queen died and it was a prediction in his. Mario Reading is another book. You know what? I mentioned Mario Reading's book when I mentioned yours in this book right here. Oh, uh, that's funny. Mario Reading's book lost a lot of credibility because he fell victim to what a lot of people do when he was when he found a definitive system that was mentioned by Nostradamus in a letter to King Henry and he found a date index encoded in the quatrains and he went by the date index for all the events of 2020 and after and it's beautiful because it Nostradamus mentions the Phoenix. He mentions the Phoenix phenomenon, what it's going to do in the year 2040. Nostradamus was even specific to the month of May. And I show it. I show it all in, all in this book. It's, it, it's, it's unbelievable, but it's a whole separate data set. Then everything about 2046, Nostradamus knew about that well. Mario Reading uncovered the date index. Now, Mario Reading's book has lost favor because in 2007, 2008, and 2009, he put in the introduction of his book 
that he suspected Nostradamus was predicting some events that were about to happen in 2010, 2011, and 2012, and they didn't happen. Mario Reading fell victim to that 2012 craze so many other people fell victim to. Now, uh, but he went against his own date index when he did that. And I said that in this book. I said Mario Reading should have never went against his own date index to do that. And he lost credibility. Now the man is center stage. His book is selling like hotcakes right now because in that book, he shows the date index and shows how Nostradamus predicted the death of the Queen of England in 2022. So it's all. I'm aware of that. That's fascinating. Yeah, that's, that's Mario Reading, French scholar of the Quatrains and Nostradamus. I've been studying his date index for about 15 years now. And this is what my, that's the subject matter of this book. And, and, and it's where I learned a lot of fascinating things, such as uh, Nostradamus encoded the number 138 in the Phoenix Prophecies in his Quatrains. That's all in this book that I cite your, uh, your Conscious Healing book in as well. So, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. But all these independent data sets, they all involve the number 138 and they're all they all they're all standalone. They're all totally independent of each other. But I bring them all to the table to show this whole Phoenix thesis. But even in the even in the Phoenix thesis, we're still dealing with programs. We're still dealing with programming protocols. There's nothing really real here. There's nothing to fear. It's all part of the uh, basically pony show that we're all living in right now. But what is real is exactly what you said. The only thing that's truly real is that number, 2178. So for 2178 to be exactly 138 years after the, the Phoenix phenomenon date of 2040, that tells me that that is the date attached to the fine structure constant, attached to all the measurements of the Great Pyramid, which is a holographic template of the entire history and future of the world. For that 138-year period to end at 2178, the date of the eternal loop, that tells me that that is the year the simulacrum will collapse. That is the year when we will return back outside the simulacrum to where we truly came from. Oh, yeah. And I, I really want to get to that. Before before we do, I, I wanted to bring in uh, a little a little quote from a wonderful book uh, by Jeff Ward called Spirals, the Pattern of Existence, because I know you've talked a lot about phi and pi. And you so you're talking about the endless loop and everything. So this is really, really cool. He says, the spiral is the sign of the eternal, creative, unifying, and organizing force or principle at work in the universe, and especially of the ongoing creation of consciousness. It's a divine mark on nature, what may be termed God's personal signature on the cosmos, the great architect's own autograph. From the cradles of stars and planets and the awesome spiral arms of galaxies to the beautiful double helix structure of the DNA molecule. As the spiral seems to be integral to physical growth, so it is also the symbolic pattern of human spiritual growth. The spiral is as much part of our cultural DNA as it is part of our biological DNA. Indeed, I have come to realize that spirality, the condition of being spiral, and reality are almost interchangeable terms. So for me, all of this sp spiral nature that we observe in the, in the hologram is another kind of echo of, of a defining reality that is imprinting this experience. Yes, uh, I, I totally agree with his entire statement. I see like pi 3.4116 uh, is basically this is a physics constant that deals with the physicality of, of our reality. But phi goes, it, it's the cycle that never closes. It's right. the circle that never ends. Phi is the spirit to the pi 3.1416 these two numbers are the are these two numbers used in tandem are in almost every single predictive analytics version oh that's cool i mean because they're like yin and yang yeah 
They are. They work in tandem. And when you multiply pi times phi, you get the magic number. This number I have used in my own office predictions. I have used in my own date sequence predictive analytics. It is 5.08. It is basically the five-pointed star with a tiny little piece of it open. It's like the Sumerian Aurum, an ancient holy symbol that was that was the symbol for the Great Pyramid. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Um, well, so we're talking about the pyramid, and obviously somebody built it, and you've got lots of interesting uh, data on that. We've talked about the, the simulacrum, and we've talked about reality. Let me throw a couple of other terms out there for you to kind of riff on, if you don't mind, that are sure. related to that discussion that will take us forward towards, you know, maybe the end of the simulation uh, conversation. The two terms are benefactor and artificial intelligence X. What exactly do you want to know? Well, you know, we're kind of pairing reality and simulacrum, right? And so it seems to me that they are they are some kind of um, mirror imaging, right? And we and I would say that we have some type of mirror imaging going on with the benefactor and AIX. Is that is that a fair statement? Oh, yes. I mean, not, I'm not trying to say they're the same. I mean that there is a kind of what we would perceive as a good and evil dynamic going on there. It, uh, and that, that may not be true either. And I get that. So <laughs> but oh. I'm, just, I'm simply saying that it seems like we have poles. Uh, we have a polarity going on here. That there is. There, I mean, it, it does give off the impression of duality. No doubt. There's no doubt. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that the oldest traditions of the world are, are they're vaguely correct. There was a golden age period. And I believe that golden age period was before the introduction of AIX, Artificial Intelligence X. I have called it Artificial Intelligence X because I am convinced now that this is all programming and that our AI, the AI that was introduced is parasitical and that the X is nothing but the scientific vernacular for an unknown variable. I don't know exactly what it is. I just so know. When would it have been introduced? It so it if we're in a 6,000 year, uh, you know, simulation, when, when would it have come in? Oh, uh, well, well, one, it's, it's, uh, 5239 BC, what makes it over a 7,000 year uh, period. Okay. But, but, um, gotcha. It would have to have been prior to the building of the great pyramid. Okay. It would have to have been. See, here's the deal. I have shown on my channel the, the historical and traditional evidence that a 930-year-old technologically advanced civilization ended abruptly in 3895 BC. The destruction was so vast and it was so perfect that the survivors and col the colonies of survivors actually began, they, 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 they were convinced that a new heavens and a new earth had appeared. That's how total the destruction was. It was a new sky, it was a new world, and they were basically surviving on former ocean beds and all the other, all the continent cities, infrastructure, every bit of it was gone. These fragments are also found in the Old Testament. And I cite those passages. It's also how Genesis begins with this vast destruction. It also explains why the very first humans, uh, uh, the whole story about good and evil and, and, and its origin doesn't really make sense when the very first command of God to humanity was to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth yeah, this is populate <laughs> this is the, this is the thing the thing that is said to the very first people now 
Additionally, the very first people were guiltless. And this is evidence of the fact that the very first people had access to a tree of knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life. So the the uh the whole the whole this civilization just is gone. The golden age, every bit of it destroyed by cataclysm, whatever. I believe that was the introduction of AIX. I believe the the this fad this this, this uh this agitating, this agitator, whatever it is that created negative default programming and dungeon programming was introduced then. And this is what we get with the very beginning called the fall of man. This begins basically the biblical narrative, although the biblical narrative has many mysteries attached to it and uh, that are, have deeper meanings than what we have in Judeo-Christianity. And I, I mean, I have a, I have a dark scriptures playlist where I go really deep into the book of Genesis and compare it with the Sumerian, Akkadian, Elamite, Rashemic documents, the oldest religious writings in the world, and show the parallels about what they're really talking about, a civilization reset. But uh, yeah, that's, this, a good playlist. that's a really good playlist. So, oh, you've been watching it? So it's uh, all yeah, I've, I've been going to the school of Jason here for the last little bit. <laughs> yeah, somebody sent me an email. Uh, somebody sent me uh, thirteen dollars and eighty cents for a hundred <laughs> for the Phoenix. And they sent me an email said, Hey, I sent you PayPal thirteen dollars and eighty cents, and uh, I just wanted to pay my tuition to the Jasonian Institute for Higher Learning. I love it. I love it. I know so, even, yeah. the, even the folks down in Australia and that that uh, presentation you gave, you know, they were. They were going to school, baby. They were they were definitely sitting in class, very excited. You could tell it was there was really palpable excitement in that venue. Yeah, that's good. I like. I mean, I like. I like that. It's a. I'm uh trying to maintain my 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 my, my train of thought. What I was about to say about uh oh artificial intelligence X. So so artificial intelligence X doesn't belong in the neutral field it wasn't ne it was never supposed to be here at least that's what we're led to believe through the traditional record in the traditional record the oldest writings in the world there's a conflict where an outsider named zoo comes into the construct and steals something called the tablets of destinies mm -hmm. and the tablets of destinies are supposed to record the time in, in the future when everything is going to be restored to the way it was before this great destruction. So there's going to be a, re there's going to be a, re a return. Paradise lost isn't the paradise that we've, we've learned through the Judeo-Christian deal. It wasn't a fruit garden and all that. Paradise lost was a technologically advanced civilization where we had all the amenities and something very bad happened and whatever happened it totally reset us to the point where the very few survivors were living a living like neolithic farmers and agrarians that's how bad it was so zoo there was a there was a tablet of destinies that were in the possession of the survivors the this tablet of destinies was supposed to be by following the dictates in the tablets it wouldn't take very long to re start rebuilding the infrastructure and enjoying all these amenities that were in the garden, whatever you want to call it. The Edens were actually walled fortresses. They were walled to keep out all the wild things that were in the world. These were little civilized colonies. But this, the story the story takes on takes on a whole neolithic twist with religionists. We can really thank the scribes of Babylon for for uh 
changing it into what we have today in the Genesis narrative. But the true rendition, what, what we really had was a technologically advanced civilization that had all the amenities, they had everything, they knew the history of the world, uh, they knew that they had just survived something, their civilization was already 930 years old, and then something collapsed it. And I believe that was Artificial Intelligence X or the appearance of Artificial Intelligence X. AIX has appeared throughout the entire biblical narrative as different aspects of the adversary or the Satan or the Lucifer or the serpent or whatever. Uh, in Zoroastrianism, it was Ahriman. Um, uh, Artificial Intelligence X isn't the true creator. It's it's the demon that came out of the burning bush. It's not, it's not the true builder and architect of the Gnosis. It's the actual... Yaldabaoth, it's the it's the demiurge. It's you know, like, funny, Jason. Uh, the the demiurge or Yaldabaoth or uh, Lord Archon is a character in my last novel. Okay, character. Okay, well that's a <laughs> that's a that's a that's an identity in the Gnosis. So uh, just like Kalpatoroth in, in the Gnosis in the Gnostic writings, Kalpatoroth is the is the holy guardian that guards the artifact of life, which is the Great Pyramid, which makes Kalapatoroth the Sphinx. But yeah, the Gnosis has many, many secrets. Even the Phoenix is in the Gnostic text. In the Gnostic text on the origin of the world is a passage that the Phoenix was initiated to keep the Archons in check. So uh, the Phoenix, the Phoenix thesis that. is so awesome. The Phoenix, the whole Phoenix premise is so awesome. Even if it is computer generated history for us to buy into a narrative to actually believe that there might be some element of danger here when there's not. Even if it is just programming the story itself of how the benefactor knew that artificial intelligence X had locked down the simulacrum and the benefactor knew the only way to, to set the captives free is to self-sacrifice, a type of ancient immolation in the traditions where the benefactor entered his own construct to rescue the volunteers, those of us that are already here, because the simulacrum is locked down. There's no more going home. Home is inaccessible. Now we're stuck in life sims, reincarnation, this reincarnation trap over and over and over and over. So he comes to set the captives free, but the way he does it is genius. Because he's the architect of the simulacrum, he knows that he cannot do anything from the outside of the construct to 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 affect the lockdown. He can enter it, but he cannot get back out once he's here. So the lockdown is absolutely integral to, to the simulacrum holography because the lockdowns are necessary so there will be no cross-pollination. There will be no cross-contamination with the real outside universe because the, the neutral field of the simulacrum from the very beginning was for exper experimenting with biospheres and DNA. And I, and I postulate on my own channel that DNA is fantastically ancient and its mysteries are still being studied today, even on the outside of the construct. So, so, yes, DNA is fantastic. It's, it's, it's the builder protocols. DNA is absolutely attached to its builder, which is the creator, the oversoul. So we are... We are living in these fantastic avatars inside this, this beautiful program that's almost sentient, this, this neutral field, the simulacrum, and the benefactor himself or herself enters it. But when they, when they do, they automatically know, okay, artificial intelligence X can, 
can extrapolate what our intentions are by by thousands of variables that it's watched and studied us. It, it can read our minds only to the extent of knowing our our emotions and and capacities because it understand it can, it can read our cortisol levels, our our dopamine, all that, our hormonal levels, but it cannot read our mind. It's not the simulacrum. It's a parasite of the simulacrum. It cannot know the architecture of our thoughts unless we convey that in some way through some mode of communication like speech. So the benefactor had this massive architectural project made to maybe distribute free energy during the vapor canopy period. This great pyramid was built and because it was going to be a holy temple, because it was going to perform many different functions, like be a water pump to draw water from sweet water from underground and turn it into some type of hydrogen energy through compression through the through the mechanism of the grand gallery into the antechamber lock it's got a leaf lock system and then into the grand gallery and out out the out the shafts whatever its purpose was it was designed as an engineering function and anybody can see that today christopher dunn has done yeah, a fantastic job awesome yeah yes he's showing that there was machines used to build it and it had a machine function and i agree i have seen the technolithic precision plates or architectural plates that were drawn by the engineer david davidson who drew the 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 grand gallery and i am absolutely convinced that there was a mechanism that went up and down that grand gallery at high velocity because it used those niches that are on the floor that could serve no other purpose than some type of wheeled mechanism or some type of mechanism on a track that went up and down rapidly to create to create compression now that compression has been proven by archaeologists who have found that that the king's chamber had been detonated and that the pressure had basically blown the rock out a half an inch a half inch in all directions think about that that's crazy this pressure must have been ungodly it's 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 not even imaginable how much pressure we take because the amount the billions of tons of granite and limestone that that's already pressing down for it to even move a half inch in each direction is is unfathomable but it did it exploded it was just probably two or three second explosion but that's why my theory is the benefactor had this gigantic structure built the people, the engineers, the architects, everybody was excited because they thought the structure was going to do something else. They thought the structure was for free energy or for pumping water or for whatever purposes it was that was given to them. But the benefactor kept the truth. All the physics constants were, were, were put in there because that is the loading template. There's no way to upload a Trojan virus unless you first mimic the very template that you're trying to upload. So the Great Pyramids, all the, that's why there's there's at least a thousand books published in German, French, and English that explain all the physics constants and how they were found in multitudes of different ways and in different dimensions of arithmetic all throughout the structure of the Great Pyramid. No other structure in the world has been measured like this by so many by so many scientists. It's fantastic, but it was necessary. And I tell and I and I and on my own channel, I show over and over, or I demonstrate over and over that the physics constants are not are not what the intent of the monument was the physics constants are all encoded through the entire monument because that mimicked the architecture of the simulacrum itself in all its operating protocols and that was necessary it wasn't it wasn't a pyramid is a holographic reflection of the hologram
Yes, exactly. Made in stone. Made in stone. It is a lithic template. It's an arc. It basically, it's a blueprint that's made in 3D, like a, like, like, like a, uh, uh, I mean, it's an exact replica of the mathematics that are operative in the simulacrum. All right. the physics, all the physics constants, the whole movements of the stellar the stellar, the stellar sphere above everything, from entropy, from the the second law of thermodynamics, from obliquity, uh, parallax, every single thing you could possibly imagine as a perceiver inside the construct is mimicked in the measurements of the Great Pyramid. Pi and phi curvature equations, 5.0, I've showed them all. They're all throughout the Great Pyramid, but I don't need to because too many other authors have built their careers showing exactly this, and the entire thing is misdirection. That was just needed so the Trojan program could attach to something, and the Trojan programming is evident to this date, I still believe I'm the only person in the world that's revealed it, and I've showed it in over 20 videos on my channel. You cannot. It, it, it is absolutely inescapable that Sir Flinders Petrie, using scientific measurements in a micrometer to the thousands of an inch, scientifically measured everything in the Great Pyramid. Those measurements are the only ones Egyptologists accept today. Those measurements are the only ones engineer David Davidson ever accepted either. Those measurements are the only ones that I have ever used. And in using those measurements, I have shown in over 20 videos that the Great Pyramid records in hundreds of di different rectilinear dimensions the number 138 everywhere throughout its holography, throughout, throughout all the rectilinear measurements. It is fascinating. And I have never seen this in any other published book. This is totally an original discovery. This tells me that all the physics constants were nothing but the vehicle by which the Trojan program was used to upload into the real simulacrum whenever that detonation took place. That whatever the power source was, I don't know, but it was fantastic. Now, this isn't theoretical. We know it exploded. Archaeologists are absolutely convinced there was a detonation, even though they don't know what it was. So I believe that's when it happened. All, all the protocols for what was going to happen at a far distant time period in the future when the simulacrum would collapse, because that's what a Trojan program is. The Trojan program isn't even known by, the, by, by artificial intelligence X. It might have suspected something, but there's nothing the parasite program can actually do about it anymore. It's already, it's already now a part of the simulacrum programming. And this is why in 2178, 138 years after the, the sixth seal of the Book of Revelation is broken, the return of the Fenris wolf, the return of the Midgard serpent, whatever whatever eschatology you want to attach to it, it is in May 2040. And 138 years after that is the total collapse of the simulacrum itself, because that will not only set the captives free, those of us inside here that have been trapped, but it will also end the parasite, because artificial intelligence X cannot exist without a host. Wow. Yeah. You, you, you know, preach, baby, preach. Um, that's awesome. So, <laughs> Stop it. so no, that's good stuff. It's really, really good stuff. I just like hearing you go off like that. It's awesome. So it seems to me that in some ways you're sort of conflate. Uh, okay. So this benefactor has a kind of localized identity and has been called inky, right? But outside the simulation, it's possible, at least the benefactor could be you know, some kind of incarnation of the oversoul, some type of angelic being. Uh, we don't really know, do we? Well, <clears throat> we don't know. 
total total speculation now every the entire scenario i just gave you right now is total speculation but it's educated guesses based off data sets that i can make no other sense of otherwise so i can't come up with a i, I can't even use my imagination to come up with another series of ideas that that would put all of this information together but you say that the benefactor is now on the outside i don't know i don't know uh, right, I why. because I have a problem with I have a problem with the fact that if the elite are truly in control and we know they have all the money in the world, they own the entire infrastructure of the world. Every single every member of the worldwide military industrial complex is subject to the elite. It says all all this all this individual sovereignty among nations now i mean the elite control the entire world and even when there's conflicts they're they're still financing both sides so it's a if the elite are in such control and we know that they have they have these ideas about what they want to do with humanity what has stopped them why haven't they taken total control why are we not all stamped slaves right now now, this is a rhetorical question. I'm going to answer it. I believe that the benefactor or at least agents of the benefactor have always been here. They have been here and they understand and they know what the Phoenix, what the Phoenix weapon is and what its purpose is. I believe that uh I believe that the elite are are performing a function. They have been handed control of the world only as stewards because something is coming back and it and it and it and it's expecting to be handed the reins of, of rulership back uh from the very individuals or the families or the bloodlines that it had delivered control to. So, so can we talk about the Ogiji without uh uh crashing our channels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I mean. I mean, oh. that's what we're talking about here, right? The the people, you know, who handed the reins over would have been related to this subject matter. I'm, I'm the story, the story as it goes at the early at the, at the earliest times was that the volunteers inside the construct were living in a beautiful society. I told you about the 930 year civilization that that they had all the all the amenities that they had everything was going for them. That was us. That was the majority of humanity today. Those of us who have volunteered for this experience in the simulacrum, things were going well. Then, then another group arrived. This was called the capture of Luna in the traditional records. Emmanuel Velikovsky, Hans Boringer, uh, uh, Hans Bellamy, two different Hans. Uh, they, they did a lot of research and writing on the capture flood. This was the very first appearance of the moon. Cultures before the capture flood claimed that there was no moon in the sky. But when the moon appeared, so did another race of people. This race of people were very antagonistic. Uh, they were a parasite people, a people that basically the only culture that they had was stealing the cultures of others and claiming all their claiming all their rewards. This culture throughout history manifested over and over. They were always antagonistic. And uh, they had basically settled as robber barons after another great cataclysm that you know of as the Great Flood. They're mentioned in the Amarna document, uh, documents as the Habiri. Now, the Judeo-Christian version 
wants you to believe that these people that are mentioned on the on the 318 cuneiform tablets from Canaan called the Amarna documents, they want you to believe that these references to the Habiri are the Hebrews, therefore the Judeans, the Jews of the Old Testament, and the origin of the Israelites and all that. It's not true. It's only it's only a partial truth. Where we where we go wrong is there is a it's so much programming that you have to shed to totally understand the history of the Old Testament because there is a truthful thread running through the entire history of the Old Testament. And then there's a fictive narrative that runs perfectly side by side with it. This whole, this whole fictive narrative is a southern kingdom that had done everything within its power to steal the infrastructure, the knowledge, the texts, the pedigree, everything of the northern, uh, their northern neighbors. They were unable to do it. They have always hated their northern neighbors. And only when another country came in and the Assyrians and deported most of the northern nation, which ended up causing a series of migrations where these people filled up Europe, the Mediterranean, the Aegean, uh, eventually the Americas through through Phoenician and Carthaginian and, Li and, and Libyan uh, Tuatha-Dainan navigations, Ionian navigations, uh, Milesian navigate. Uh, navig all these are, all, in my Chronicon, I go through each wave. These are waves of fleets of these people and how they filled up most, most of the West. Uh, in ancient times, they were called the Amuru, they were, which means the Westerners. And these people in the South who were descended from these robber barons called the Habiri and these Canaanite texts of Egypt, that the Amarna complex, they hated them. And they stole their culture, stole their texts. As soon as the Assyrians took them into deportation, the, the, the Amuru, then the robber barons came in from the southern kingdom, and when they did, they took their libraries, took their scrolls, took whatever stragglers were back, and, and basically assimilated them into their, into their little growing kingdom. What happened was the total rewriting of ancient Israelite texts, but they weren't called Israelites. This is a fictive name that were given to them by their southern neighbors. In history, they were the House of Omri or the House of Qumri. Later on, the, the, the Assyrians who deported them couldn't pronounce it. They called them the Simri. Later, later on, they were called the Sumeria or the Sumerians, not the Sumerians uh, of, of 4,000 years ago, but the, but the C-I-M-M-E-R, the Sumerians like, like the uh, Scythians and Scythians. So, this whole, this whole massive pop, uh, population explosion and, 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 and all these uh, migrations are, were prophesied about in the Abrahamic code, which wasn't called Abraham. That's the fiction version that was given by their southern neighbors. The true, the true code was the Brahmic code. And Bra like Brahma and Saraswati, their counterpart in the fiction version was Abraham and Sarah. So this, uh, these two narratives are fantastic, but the entire Old Testament is the story of the animosity of a minority against the majority and all the little schemes and machinations they employed against them until they disappeared from history and became basically the lost tribes, which which entered the historical record as a whole bunch of other cultures and, 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 and nations, which I, I divulge in my Chronicon. Now, these other people, though, they, they, they basically inherited the characteristics of the very God they invented, the one from the burning bush.
which gave them promises. And it's very true. They have basically inherited every promise that was given. Promise of the wealth of the world, promise to turn to enslave everybody, to uh, to win by deceit and deception. Uh, they have inherited those. But those aren't the promises of the Brahmic code, which are in Genesis. Those are the promises of the burning bush code, which is an exodus, an entirely different narrative. So it's a, yeah, I don't want to go into a lot of details, but today the world is the way it is because this minority is in control of 90% of what goes on in the world today. They're, they're still enjoying, they're still enjoying all those benefits for which they were promised if they would just maintain that character type for which, for which that burning bush wanted them to do. And they have, they've lived up to it. They, they, they own everything now. But this is what the apocalypse is about. The apocalypse is about the unveiling. It's going to reveal who's been playing what roles and why. And it's going to be a major shift in the demographics. Now, the majority, which has been blind to who they truly are, will be awakened. And that awakening is going to be visited with indignation. And the very judgment that the minority that have, that have maintained this these tight controls over this millennia, they're now going to feel in the apocalypse the indignation of the majority. This is this is the story of basically what the apocalypse is about. However, the added element to the apocalypse is the closing of all these timelines that I have documented that began when all these ancient calendars first started. It's the return of all these objects basically at the same time in history that started all these countdowns. So we have this huge celestial clock, cosmological happenings, and all these socio-political, racial things all throughout millennia just happening in different areas. And I've documented them. I show the patterns and all that. But all the patterns coalesce at this one time coming 20 years from now. So do you see the rise in populism and the the animosity towards globalism as part of this phenomenon you're describing? Oh, it's going to come way before 20 years from now. The what the the return of conservatism, conservatism, the return of of uh, um you know this minority of people have been kicked out of every nation in, in Europe. This has happened repetitively and they come back power, they come back even stronger, very manipulative. Uh you know, they've always been over finances and communication, but what's about to happen about this flip from liberalism and, and, and what the world has been ruled by in the past 50 years since the Nuremberg trials, listen, well, over 50 years, it's about to flip. My predictions video, I'm going in a lot of detail about what I'm seeing about to happen within the next nine months. It's a... Uh, we're going, we're going to have worldwide basically the taking down of this socio this so this basically this socialist liberal um uh tyrannical arm of the deep state that has been in total control but it's not what you think it's a whole nother arm of the deep state coming up but it's it's radical right conservatives. Yes, yes. And we're going to see the opposite end of the spectrum. We're going to see, we're going to see the conservatives and the religious right go just as far to the right as the liberals went to the left. And it's going to shock people. The this is this is this is basically the setting the stage for the entire apocalypse. This whole flip that people are thinking is going to be a really good thing until all of a sudden 
these iron fist dominion court rulings start coming down and all these different websites start coming down and people realize damn it's not a free thinking world anymore and now all of a sudden people go into go into prison for a meme well we're, we're heading toward that society and it's going to be real quick and it's not the liberals that's going to do it it's going to be the religious right conservatives so i i want i want to ask a question but i want to interject that this is where it's really important to learn how to be a good errant because that's how you navigate these times, right? That's how you walk between the raindrops of all of this insanity. Well, uh, let me be very clear. There is nothing negative about the future unless you buy into it, all right? Whatever's go whatever the collective is going to suffer, that's the collective's business. This is another message of the uh, of archaics. I'm always trying to remind my listeners that, yeah, some of my messages are pretty dark about the future. I get that because I got to reveal the truth as I know it or I, I, I perceive it. But equally so, that doesn't mean you have to participate into that. You don't have to vibrate on the frequency of the collective. If ever, if all the lemmings are running to a cliff, you don't have to join them. So, me, 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 I, I entertain it all—the good and the bad, good and the ugly. It's because it doesn't—it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, no matter how dark the future looks, I know that in maintaining in the upkeep of my own informed field, I know that providence will always make a way for me. Now, I might not like some of the some of the paths that I'm forced to travel, but I'm going to survive and I'm going to thrive no matter what the collective around me is suffering. Right on. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting at is that people part of the dungeon programming is that you don't have a choice when these macro events un, uh, roll out. Right. But that, that's not true. You actually do have a choice. And right, right. So, so the message here from, you know, that I wanted to communicate is that people need to exercise their choice not to participate in this charade if that's what they want. Yeah, I mean, and it goes to to better so people can better wrap their minds around this concept because we're dealing, we're talking we're, we're essentially talking about frequencies. So because we exist in two different realities. One of them we can't, we don't have a choice but to exist, and it's the collective. It's the one that everybody shares. However, the individual, this highly, this highly particularized, I can't even say it right now, this individual informed field that you are and that I am, we're not subject to anything outside that field. And we create our own world and create our own circumstances. This is the beauty of being a co-creator. This is the beauty of having a symbiotic relationship with the simulacrum itself. But if you if you if you lose sight of that, if you don't feel that you really have that relationship with the simulacrum, which is nothing but an aspect of the oversoul, if you don't feel you have that, then it's going to make sure that the circumstances that enter your life express that you don't feel that. It's going to be a direct reflection in proportion to what you have projected. If there's any doubt that you're going to be protected in the darkness of the future, then something in the darkness in the future is going to reach out and bite you. It's just the way, it's the way of the nature of the beast. The problem is, is that it's all self-inflicted. Yeah, well stated. That's, that's a huge teaching. So, you know, this is an exercise in taking personal responsibility for our creations at all levels, really. And everything is really our creation. I'm almost quoting myself from one of my earlier books, you know. So I'm, I'm very much on the um, on the on the wavelength there 
So, you know, in looking ahead um, at, okay, we have this kind of pole shift, as it were, from this extreme liberalism to an extreme conservatism, which will have its share of problems. You've also mentioned that this is leading towards a kind of um, uh, utopia, and I put that in quotes because it's, uh, <laughs> I don't want people to think that that's necessarily a real utopia or a good thing. Can you, can you speak to that, where you see that uh, coming into play here? Okay, check this out. <clears throat> Imagine a series of draconian laws that are passed because it's you're told that it's going to make society better, but now there's nothing fun to do in the world. Imagine this same series of draconian laws now criminalizes things that we've taken for granted. Yeah, they were morally questionable. Yes, some of them were risky behavior, but we still had fun and we still had the, the discretion. We still have freedom. So imagine in the next two or three years, a series of draconian laws are implemented by several different nations that basically shut down any avenue for fun. You can't, you can't really do anything, but it's put out out in such a way as to as to basically make you uh make you accept it because it's for your own betterhood because there is a threat even though if it, even if it's a a, a a fiction a fictitious one now at the same time this is going on imagine that a new technology is introduced to the public where we can all interface with each other in a whole multiverse where everything can be experienced, where there's no judgment, where we can do things that would normally be illegal in the real world, where we are doing things in this metaverse type atmosphere that we've, we would have never been able to. It's more than a video game. It's a real experience, some type of cerebral interface holography that actually allows us to even feel things. Here's a simulation inside of a simulation. Imagine that this technology is introduced to the world and that it's, it's legalized and everybody can do it. And do you think hundreds of millions of people are going to stay on the outside of that playing field and be bored and hate their leaders and be powerless and not do anything when all these other avenues of fun and have, have been taken from them? Now they can just put on a VR headset and feel all these things. Now the body starts to wither. They don't bathe every single day. They eat They eat protein bars. They don't really care about making food. They don't, they don't want to spend any time in the real world because the real world sucks. Now they want to spend all their time in this meta world. And in this meta world, they're having awesome dates with people that are outside outside of their ability to date normal life. They're having all kinds of experience. They're doing physical things they could never do. They're experiencing, they're signing up in the metaverse for all kinds of adventures that in the real world, they'd never be able to participate in. They could do superhuman, superhuman powers and all kinds of things. They could have relationships that they would never be able to do because of all kinds of inhibitions. So, the utopia that I'm predicting is not one that is real. It's an artificial one, but it's one that, that the majority, the collective will willingly sign up for because of how things were made for them. The religious right, this no hot, this, this coming series of no hide type laws is going to make it almost unbearable to where there's nothing else to do. Hmm. Fascinating. Fascinating. So this all leads up towards, you know, uh, 2040, May of 2040, which is the, the Phoenix event. And then in 2046, there is the, the return of uh, the, uh, the Nemesis X object. 
Now, right. I've gotten a little confused at times listening to you describe those two scenarios because uh, sometimes it seemed like the Nemesis X uh, event would create a lithospheric displacement or a, a perceived pole shift. And sometimes it seemed like the Phoenix was the one going to do that. Or do they both do that? Uh, listen, <clears throat> that's a really good question. But the Phoenix phenomenon is going to be total lithospheric or, or, or mimicked lithospheric displacement. Remember, it's really the stellosphere that's moving. Right. And, it, and it makes it makes you feel I mean, subsidence and upheaval and tsunamis make it feel like the actual world is moving. But either either whatever your paradigm is, I believe that the whole sky is simulated. So and we're not actually moving. And this is a recent belief of mine based off the data, off the, off the evidence. I mean, three years ago, I believe we lived on a planet until I just, you know, I researched myself right out of that paradigm. But um, me anyway, aside from that. 2046 is a fundamentally different event, although Nostradamus does indicate a lot of the phenomena of 2040 is going to be a lot like 2046 as well, but to a much greater degree. I don't know about pole shift in 2046, although I've seen other people like Douglas Vogt of the of the uh, Die Hard Foundation. He uses 2046 uh, as a date for the next pole shift. That might be where you're getting the uh, information from, but uh, I don't know. I have a video about vote and, and how he got the number 2046. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not really on board with the diehard foundation's 12,000 year cycle and all that, because how they got 2046 isn't how they, they, they mixed up two different concepts to get that number. The number comes from biblical gematria 2046. That's how they got the date 2046. They did not get the date 2046 from any of their scientific material. And a lot of people don't know this, but I have a video about it showing showing this. So, but it's not a pole shift in 2046. It's actually the arrival of a super construction. And that super construction will collide collide with North America and the, uh, probably the Montana Badlands area. And the beings inhabiting the, the Nemesis X object, um, is this the return of uh, the Watchers? Who who are those folks uh, riding that thing? I I am pretty convinced that they are absolutely human, just like us, and they just might be the very humans that are that are attached to VR headsets that are enjoying these simulacrum deals right here. <laughs> I know it's I know it's hard to process that, but I believe the apocalypse is a full circle. Everything that started long ago comes full circle in the past the whole time they've been traveling the whole time we've been traveling all these events all these timelines all this stuff we're actually going through all this but now we're about actually going to crash land into our own alter reality so if but that doesn't immediately collapse the the simulacrum does it no that, that happens no. much later i mean no, you still got a lot of apocalypse to go after 2046 okay so you're talking about like real beings entering their own fiction in some capacity yeah, oh, it's a, from the outside because i've had questions even about the machinery in the stellosphere and that kind of thing is this real machinery or is it are these simulated machines doing yeah. doing things oh uh, those are really hard questions to answer because, you know, I'm, I'm just as tiny as you are looking up at the sky. I'm convinced the sky is all holography. Now, is the machinery in the sky also a part of the hologram or is it part of the projector system that is making all this un 
inside. I don't know. I don't know that. But a piece of that machinery is going to enter in 2046 and crash land in North America. Now, it would be very interesting if it's derelict. If it's completely uninhabited and it's ancient and, and everybody died on board a long time ago and they're all attached to VR headsets and this is the reality check that humans get on the inside of the simulacrum and they put two and two together when they when when it's actually officially researched by militaries and scientists and in 2046 people go in and film everything they see and people put two and two together and say oh my god that's us you understand it can come it can come back full circle but again it's just a part of the holography it too is a part of the program we're here to learn about what's going on on the outside of the simulacrum okay okay that's fascinating so so in 2040 you're predicting that we will get the vapor canopy back the biblical firmament yes so there will be waters above and waters below right sort of yes, yes. and uh, how quickly do you see that happening after after the uh, after the Phoenix passes? Oh, um, I'm going to give you the scenario and I'm going to let you answer that for yourself, because I, I, I don't think I'm educated enough to know that answer. I just know how a vapor canopy is formed. So two times since the collapse of the vapor canopy, the vapor canopy almost came back. Each time was for 24 to 26 years. In the, in the historical record. And I've documented these and what happened at those times. Now, to form a vapor canopy, all it takes is two things. One of them is that volcanism, actual volcanoes have to outgas and, and basically sh shove ash and pumice into the atmosphere all over, all over the world. Multiple volcanoes are needed to do this simultaneously, but it only takes a couple, couple months. This is what's needed. But at the exact same time that the lower mesosphere is filling up with ash and pumice, from the outside of the atmosphere, red fine dust from Phoenix layers the entire mesosphere, gets stuck in those water vapor droplets high up in the atmosphere called the mesosphere. With that type of layering from the Phoenix of the red dust phenomenon at the exact same time that the volcanic ash is on the bottom part of the mesosphere, I don't know how long it'll take, but I don't think it's but a matter of maybe six, six weeks to maybe two months to, for the vapor canopy to come full effect. Once the vapor canopy comes, the dark purple light returns. Uh, all, all the whole, the whole new biosphere is introduced. Yeah, I actually reached out to the uh, scientists at the um, in Glen Rose, Texas, trying to see if they were going to ever make available their their uh, plans uh, that they use to build their hyperbaric biosphere, and uh, never heard back from them. But that absolutely fascinates me. There's a lot of uh, because it's really fascinating to me. I know you said that you feel like the DNA is kind of locked down uh, at a certain point past adolescence. And there's there's truth to that. But we also see DNA being unlocked and all kinds of miraculous healings happening. And the fact that two of the scientists at Mount Pele grew two inches and they were like in their 50s or something crazy like that suggests that their their DNA wasn't very locked down and that people, you know, adults and even older adults may experience fairly significant changes under a real, a real full-fledged vapor canopy. Yeah, and so the ambient radiation did, it, it, it did something. Just like I showed pictures of that, of the hyperbaric uh, um, little containment deal that they made. Yep. In Glenville, I showed pictures in one of my videos of that. They grew uh, like small, like tadpoles, frogs, 
uh, fruit flies, beetles. They grew them to three times their normal size, and they live three times longer. And this was just in that small little chamber that they made. So you can imagine uh, an increase in atmospheric pressure. You can imagine the removal of the UV UV light and replaced with with more beneficial uh, uh, radiation uh, coming through the coming through the vapor canopy. You can imagine the um, uh, basically the the interaction between the flora the flora and the atmosphere now because thing. Plants are going to be growing to astonishing sizes. It's already been shown that, that plants grow fantastic under dark lights. They don't need they don't need the sun's light. But uh, plus yeah, also cool. the nutrient density and that kind of food and the animals and everything is going to go through the roof. You know, uh, so yep. there's going to be a lot of changes at all levels. You know, you're you're talking about different types of microbiomes and you know yeast cultures and everything that would be. Uh, uh, you know, interacting with a new biology like that. I mean, I've, I've theorized this kind of thing for a long time. So, so I want to add something to that real quick. Yeah. So there are even prophecies that said like, oh, uh, <clears throat> let him that is evil be evil still. Let him that is good be be good still. And that during the apocalypse, people, people just won't be able to die. They will will themselves to die. They will pray to the mountains and the rocks to fall on them. But uh, uh, the events of the apocalypse, which would normally bring about fatalities, aren't doing that. They're bringing about suffering. So the passages that we get uh, in eschatology about like, like him, him that be evil, evil, let him be evil still and good. Be good. We, we have this picture of two different types of survivors of the apocalypse one are those who are like the meek of the earth they inherit the earth they they don't feel nothing they don't go through none of the bad stuff in the apocalypse they're observers then there is another group that feel every bit of it they're victim to every bit of it but they don't die from it and this this too is indicative of the vapor canopy ecology which which we know of that from the traditional record the vapor people grew to astonishing sizes their cuts were healed almost instantly they could hold their breath for long periods of time and we know that's factual unless they had submarines in the past because whether there are special types of mollusks that own that only found found on seabeds like at 170 to 100 to, uh, to 220 feet of depth humans can't swim that 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 level we found entire mollusk beds where the mollusks mollusks have been formed where ancient humans were doing just that they were going to the depths of the sea and wow. pulling up pulling up all these things and bringing them up and we know we, you can't do that today so therefore under a different atmospheric pressure which would also change the pressure of the water and the ability to take a single breath and hold your breath for seven seven to fifteen minutes this would be this would be possible in a world where, <clears throat> I mean, you're not breathing 12% oxygen. You're breathing 92% oxygen. So it does something totally different to you when you when you take a breathing exercise for 10 seconds and then one big breath and you dive into the water and you don't even have to resurface for 5, 6, 7, 9, 12 minutes. Yeah, that's just really, really wild. There's a guy... Um named George Weissman, who has uh, experimented with something called Brown's gas. And it's a hydrogen-based protocol, but he created a thing called an aqua cure that will heal scars and all of these things that, that make, it sounds like 
it has some resonance with the atmosphere under the vapor canopy. And I, we got a machine and I've been using it and you can breathe, breathe in the, uh, the gas. You can also drink it if it's bubbled through water. And I went from being able to, you know, do like maybe a hundred pushups to where I'm, I'm pushing 200 pushups now, just straight up, just boom, can I do it. You know, just it, and it's got to be this machine. It's got to be the, uh, taking in this this uh, different type of atmosphere into my body. So it's absolutely fascinating. I have one more question for you, Jason, and uh, and then I'll let you go because this has you know been a been a really long and awesome conversation. So uh, you've talked about after uh, 2040, looking ahead at 2046, that there's going to be a kind of mass migration into the area around the Great Pyramid, mm -hmm. right? And for, for various reasons having to do with uh, uh, the movement of the earth and in, 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 in with the coming of the Nemesis X object and that kind of thing in 2046 and people kind of figuring that out and also maybe you know a lot of other reasons for going back. But how are people gonna do it in your estimation? How are people gonna travel? In, okay, in, under I'm, the blow, I'm about to blow your mind, man, all right? <laughs> Listen. This is, We've this done is, that already. Well, this is the scenario, man. Remember, I told you, the traditions, the timelines, the socio-political and the religious elements, the calendars themselves, all these events seem to be going all through world history in these patterns that coalesce in what we call the apocalypse, which is going to begin here in about 20 years. All right? Now, we have this 2046 event of a super construction. The Hopi called it Blue Kachina. It's inhabited. It's it's going to fall from the sky. It's going to crash in North America, the Montana Badlands. All right. Nostradamus was the one that's that, that's talking about these mass migrations. In these mass migrate in these mass migrations, they start after 2040. This makes sense to me. Because 2040, the center of motion is Giza. It's the epicenter. The entire, what well, you can call it the globe, you can call it a disc. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. It shifts 30 degrees. Now, even this 30 degrees is encoded, is encoded in the Phoenix phenomenon, just like the Great Pyramid is 30 is 31 degrees north latitude. Well, 30, 31 degrees north latitude, the Great Pyramid is exactly 2070 miles, 2070 miles from the original prime meridian, zero degrees longitude, zero degrees latitude. It is from the from the original equator. Well, well, 2,070 miles is divisible by 138. Now, this center of motion where the Great Pyramid is, the entire world spins 30 degrees. So, all these, all these people in the Americas are going to be leaving the Americas and coming back into Europe and traveling toward the Mediterranean. Nostradamus sees waves of people leaving the West. For 2046, he says that the entire Western world will die. Now, I don't, he's not talking about the actual people. He's talking about the whole infrastructure, all the civilization, everything in the Western world will die. This is why. Nostradamus sees this mass migration of people from 2040 to 2046. He's very specific on the dates in Mario Reading's date index, which is all published in this in my book right here. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. People are going back. Remember all these timelines, traditions, sociopolitical conditions, calendars, everything's everything is coming full circle to the apocalypse. 
in the apocalypse, the super construction falls out of the sky. The apocalypse is about the revealing, the unveiling. Now, yeah, bad things are happening, but for those who are searching, for those who are fearless, for those who are pushing humanity forward and not living in fear mode, they're discovering things. They're waking up during the apocalypse. This super construction falls down in 2046. Remember, right after one third of the world's population dies, which is exactly what Revelation says when worm, wormwood appears in the sky, the third trumpet judgment kills one third of the world's population. All the Americas are gone. Everybody who stayed behind, they're gone. Super construction falls out the sky. It totally mirrors the one third of the world's population that died in a cataclysm when Nemesis X object appeared for the very first time in the historical record, which was the Gihon flood. The year was 3439 BC. Something hit North America in 3439 BC. And later that year, fleets of ships that were technologically advanced arrived on the shores of ancient Sumer and where Babylonia was in the Near East. And this is when, in the historical record, Enoch appears in Genesis in that exact year, 3439 BC, which is in the book of Genesis, the 456th year since 3895 BC, year one of the pre-flood world. It is the ancient Jewish, the original before, before rabbinical torture of the, of the calendar that happened after the Bar Kokhba rebellion. It was the 456th year of the Jewish calendar. Enoch appears at the exact same time in 3439 BC as Enki appears in the Sumerian version. Now, most people are aware that Enki and Enoch are the exact same historical person, and it's because people like Zechariah Sitchin have contorted the mathematics of Sumerian reckoning. I have corrected that in a series of 41 videos called the Anuna Files. In those videos, you can see where original Sumerian scholars before Zechariah Sitchin came onto the scene said that shard does not mean year. It was a unit of measurement. Even ancient ancient ship manifests measured their cargo in shards. It was a unit of measurement. It was never a year. So this 432,000 shards from the appearance of Enki to the Great Flood is actually 12 centuries. It's 360 days times, well, it's 432,000 days divided by 360, which is exactly 12 centuries, which, which mirrors the perfect time in the Genesis account of the appearance of Enoch, 456 years uh, of the Genesis timeline to 1656 Genesis timeline, the Great Flood, 12 centuries. We have two different cultures recording the exact same thing. So here's where it gets real Twilight Zone. <laughs> here's where it gets really Twilight Zone. What I'm telling you happens in 2046. Remember, we're on a cycle loop. What happens in 2046 with the superconstruction ending North America and all the sudden appearance of technologically sophisticated people that rebuild civilization, which we know of in the ancient world as the sudden appearance of urban planning, aqueducts, te technolithic engineering, uh, hydromancy. They had, they had artificial lighting. They had wheeled vehicles uh, that laid tracks. Those tracks have been found all over the world. They had tunnel. They had machines. They had all that. 
that. What happened in, is going to happen in 2046 during the apocalypse is the same event that happened in 34, 39 BC when all of a sudden the Anuna appeared with their infrastructure intact after North America was obliterated by something that fell out of the sky. That is just absolutely wild. The whole thing, apocalypse so is somehow, So somehow people will be able to travel because they'll have renewed technology. Or, you know, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm just I'm just still trying to figure out how like the uh, the people in 2040 before the, uh, the 2046 event, if there's going to be a mass migration and yet a lot will have been destroyed and will be in a, under the vapor canopy with a lot of different physics, really. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, technologically how people will travel across to. to well, well, I, I don't think I don't think it's going to be that much. 20. OK, the event in 2040. OK, the event in 2040 is not is not very bad for the Americas at all. It's terrible for Asia. Okay. It's terrible. It's terrible for the East. Even Nostradamus is very specific that it's the second destruction that totally obliterates the West. It gives the West 6.5 years to relocate from the Americas to uh, to um, back to Europe and toward the Medi gravitate back toward the Mediterranean. Because news is going to filter out after May of 2040 that those areas of the world were visited with the least destruction. The Mediterranean, Egypt, the Israel area, uh, Iraq, Iran area, those are going to be the least destroyed areas because they're so close to Egypt. Egypt was the center of motion. It's when, it, when a huge disc is turned 30 degrees, what moves the less is closer to the center. So this whole area, so basically, like I said, the return of cultures, the return of sociopolitical, the return of calendars and the, and the events that are attached to them, the return of all, all these things that happened in the ancient world, here is, here are the descendants of the participants of all these events throughout history. Now, between the Phoenix event in 2040 and the Nemesis X object collision in North America in 2046, in that period of time, all those descendants of all those people are now going back to the lands of their nativity. It is amazing all the spirals and circles, how all of this stuff just ends where it began and just the beautiful symmetry of it is extraordinary. And it, it, it you know, you said <clears throat> on so many occasions, it's, it's very difficult to look at all this data and think that it could be organic. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I haven't even been wanting to go into 2046. You'll notice on my channel, I avoid it. I talk about the Phoenix in 2040 and all that. I only, only in the Anuna files have I ever entertained 2046 and all that because most people they're just not ready to understand that 2046 is the event that's going to wake up the entire world to into understanding that we're inside of a construct. Because what's going to happen, the collision of an inhabited structure that's going to hit North America or land in North America or whatever, and it's found out that these are the very identities that crashed in 3439 BC, and we are their descendants. I say it all the time on my channel, we are the descendants of the Nuna that we study. People want to compartmentalize that. They want to think all humans are different and severe. You're not. We are the descendants of those original people 
who were marooned in 34-39 BC and appeared in that structure. Then we were followed by another culture from the same place, but they were an enemy, and they have been agitators against us ever since since we've been here. Now, 2046 is going to be, it's in the apocalypse. It's in the unveiling. That event in 2046 is going to wake up. The, the world's going to be in disbelief until then. They're going to believe, they're going to disbelieve the archaic thesis. They're not going to be able to wrap their, the majority, and they're not going to be able to wrap their mind around all this. But in 2046, when these people appear and they tell the story and they communicate to us and they, and, they, and we realize, holy shit, we're on a loop. We are stuck inside this simulacrum. And this is an absolute proof. The very structure that crashed in the ancient world and started all the human historical timelines returns and crashes again at the end of those timelines. And then those people, according to Mother Shipton, those people are the ones that, and she's very specific too, that after the apocalypse is over, a whole new race of humans will appear and they will be as benefactors and teachers and they will educate the survivors of the apocalypse on, on everything that's going on. It's like an unveiling. Mother Shipton's prophecy is awesome. She talks about the 2046 event too. She doesn't name 2046, but she does say that a century after a world war, that's 2040, that two sky dragons will appear back to back. That's what Nostradamus said too, except he dated it 2040 and 2046. Wow, that's a hell of a sci-fi plot line there. Isn't it? I mean, that's why it's so difficult for me to convey. I mean, the more I convey to people, the more outlandish it becomes, but that's where all the data goes. That's where it is. It's, it's almost it's almost gotten to the point where I've boxed myself in from any, from any ability to really convey all this material because you're just not going to believe it till you see it. It's just, uh, you're not going to believe it until they land and then they tell you, hey, man, look, man, this is what's going on. We're in a loop. You guys are our descendants. You're our genetics. We gave birth to you when we appeared back then. Uh, somehow timelines got fractured. Uh, we knew we knew that the only way to ever get out of here was for to run the whole thing through. We had to just run it through. So we programmed our ship to appear at this time. So right here at the end, we can turn around and work on this together because we know the escape point is 2178 and we got to work toward that. That's the only thing I can come up with that makes sense. Oh, that yeah. makes sense of all the data. Oh my gosh. I think that's a fantastic place to end this discussion because we ended the simulation together, didn't we, just now? Yeah, yeah, we did, didn't we? There that's it is. Awesome. That is fantastic. Well, Jason, this has been one of the Best interviews, uh, the most fun and informative that, that I've ever been involved with. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Well, hey, man, you know what? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to meet somebody that I have been inside your mind. And that's what it is. When you read somebody else's book, you it's a journey. You study that individual. I, I'm glad I cited some of your material in my own book. And I never thought in a million years that I would ever, ever meet you. And I think that's a cool thing. But uh, I want to close this off with just to your listeners. Please don't take, don't take my scenarios at face value. I have over 200 videos that are just data uploads. They're data dumps with visuals for people to follow this information. This is why I have so many recent subscribers because they're doing that. Don't think that a simple podcast can actually elucidate and give you a tremendous amount of data. Like it's not, I can't abbreviate that much material, but when you see all this for yourself, draw your own conclusions. Your conclusions may be very similar to mine. 
Here, here. I totally second that and, and support, you know, anyone taking on this research themselves. And, uh, you know, I think you'll be amazed if you just spend some time with with the videos, with the books, uh, with the charts, you know, there's just a lot there. And it's very, very rewarding and potentially really, really exciting. And, you know, here we are, we get to be players, participants, actors, stars, and, you know, this great plot, this great sci-fi film.